Hi, and welcome to this week's LGBT Wellness Podcast. Each week, LGBT HealthLink, a program of Centerlink, brings you a roundup of some of the biggest LGBTQ wellness stories from the past week. Get ready to listen and learn lots. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of our podcast. For our regular listeners, you know that each week we typically bring you new stories and research from the world of LGBTQ health, but this week we have a special interview that we have divided into three parts for your listening pleasure. We're joined here today by Anthony Foe, who uses he, him, his pronouns, and who is a postdoctoral scholar with the Pride Study and PrideNet at Stanford University, which is the LGBTQ community engagement partner of the All of Us Research Program. We're going to talk a lot more about what that means, but in short, this is a historic effort to collect health data on 1 million or more people living in the U.S. with the goal of advancing better health for all. As you'll see, that definitely includes LGBTQ folks, and this program is going to fill a lot of gaps in what we currently don't know about LGBTQ health. Centerlink, the host of our podcast, is the world's largest LGBTQ community-based network whose mission is to strengthen, support, and connect LGBTQ community centers. Centerlink helps build the capacity of these centers to address the social, cultural, health, and advocacy needs of our LGBTQ community centers, and its work is based on the belief that these centers are primary change agents and the movement working towards the liberation and empowerment of LGBTQ people. Centerlink works with Praxis Partners to identify member centers in the All of Us target markets to engage in outreach, education, and awareness activities to explain and promote the All of Us research program. These centers become part of the network of partner organizations that serve as trusted messengers and intermediaries for all of us. And so it's appropriate that today we are joined by representatives from two of the five centers that are part of this effort, including Evan Killensworth from LGBT Detroit and Kim Fountain from the Center on Halstead. The other centers who aren't with us today, but who are also part of this really important work, are the Brooklyn Community Pride Center, the Milwaukee LGBT Center, and the Sacramento LGBT Community Center. So, without further ado, I'm going to bring in Anthony, who's been waiting patiently in the wings. Anthony, if you could start out by telling us a little bit about yourself um, and how you got involved in this initiative. Hi, Corey. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I just want to say this is my first time uh, participating in a podcast, um, so I'm very excited to be here um, and have the opportunity to speak to you all. Um, so I work at PrideNet, as you mentioned, and um, that's um, housed at Stanford University. And PrideNet is a national network of queer healthcare individuals and organizations. And um, it really is a network of people and organizations that informs and empowers community-engaged research. Um, and the community that we are most interested in is LGBTQ communities. So PrideNet is part of the Oliver's Research Program as a community engagement partner <clears throat> to make sure that LGBTQ people are represented in the All of Us Research Program. So in terms of myself, um, very briefly, in a nutshell, I'm a queer researcher um, that does queer health research. <laughs> um, I sometimes joke uh, with folks and I, I tell them that my life has become all queer health all the time because it really has. Um, it was not planned this way, but it's sort of evolved this way. Um, I feel very um, blessed. Um, somehow all my queer dreams came true and I got to go to nursing school and eventually become a primary care nurse practitioner who actually exclusively takes care of LGBTQ people. Although a few cishet people actually do sneak in every now and then and they are a little bit confused and I am a little bit confused, um, but we uh, are very egalitarian in terms of the way that we deliver healthcare. 
So I've been teaching LGBTQ health to doctors and nurses um, for a number of years now. And if my life weren't queer enough, um, I had to do, or I decided to do a PhD entirely focused on LGBTQ people um, because uh, I, I basically was very passionate about advocating for my patients um, through LGBT health research. And so after I finished my PhD, I decided to continue the queer party. And I uh, am doing a postdoc now with the Pride Study and PrideNet, um, which brought me to AOU. Well, I'm so glad that you were able to stay um, in the queer party. Um, that's certainly where, where we party here as well. Uh, so it's nice that we can we can enjoy that together. Um, and one of the things that specifically um, of, of all of the work that's going on with all of us and that you're involved in, one thing that we wanted to specifically talk about today, um, which we haven't discussed much on the podcast, um, including last year, we had another conversation about all of us. And um, this wasn't something that we covered then. Um, but one thing that they're working on um, that you're working on with with all of us is um, the idea of genomics. Can you talk a little bit about um, what that means as, as folks can gather from the name, something to do with genes um, and genomes, but um, tell us a little bit uh, more about what this is and how it fits into the, to the work. Yes, genomics. Genomics is the word of the day, and it's a very exciting word to me. Um, I want to first start with a disclaimer that I am not a genomic researcher um, in the lab test tube, like Bunsen burner sense, um, but I do look at genomics from a clinical research perspective and ultimately how it really impacts um, our, our communities, my patients and, and LGBTQ people. So I'm probably a lot like folks that are listening to the podcast today. I'm most interested in how it will improve the health of LGBTQ people. And so, with that disclaimer, I'll do my best to briefly break down this fascinating topic of genomics. Um, so to take you, you back to um, biology class, um, for those of you have, who had taken biology, and I took it very many, 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 many years ago in the beginning, um, you have to start with genetics. And I know that that term is really in the popular press. Um, genetics is a term that is used simply to describe the study of our genes. And genes are, something in the body that basically gets expressed as traits or conditions that get passed down from one generation to another. So genetics is sort of the study of traits and conditions that are going from generation to generation. So what exactly are genes? Um, I actually heard a metaphor recently um, that I found useful and I was actually talking to my sister who happens to be someone who works in genetics, um, who's done cancer research for many, many, many years. And um, the metaphor was that genes are like individual recipes that carry out instructions for specific functions or traits in humans. Technically, what genes are, are they are segments of DNA. And I know everyone has heard that term before. And DNA basically contains our unique genetic code that makes up who we are. So when we say a gene gets expressed is often the language that you'll hear is when these recipes are read in our cells and something happens in terms of something gets created. So our cells, our body are made up of millions of cells and cells are really the basic building blocks of the body. And so genes within the cells help provide instructions to help our cells to function. So for example, we have cells in our heart that help it to pump blood. We have cells in our eyes that help us to see. 
And oftentimes you'll hear about genes getting passed down uh, for specific traits. And when I say traits, it'd be something like that you can observe, like someone's hair color, um, not salon hair color, but the hair color they were, <laughs> were born with, or someone's eye color is really, really common that we talk about that as a trait, or even their blood type is considered sort of a, a, a genetic uh, um, trait that gets passed down. But genes can also get expressed in other ways, including health conditions like diabetes, um, which um, you may have yourself or know someone that has diabetes because so many people have it these days, or even other um, diseases like sickle cell disease. So the way to think about genomics now that we've talked a lot about genetics is that if genes are the individual recipes or instructions, then the genome is the entire cookbook. So therefore, when we look at genomics as a word, genomics is the study of all of a person's genes collectively. All of these recipes that go into this wonderful and fabulous cookbook that make you, you, and help your body to function. Well, I'm going to try to not take the salon hair color comment personally. For, for anyone who might be listening and can't see, I, I, I may or may not be uh, sticking to my natural shade here, um, but they're very interesting to hear. For me, genes are usually the thing that I blame anytime I put on weight. Um, so it's good to learn a little bit about the actual scientific um, definition of some of these terms. Um, and so tell us a little bit more specifically about, because we know um, folks who listen to the podcast regularly or who otherwise know about all of us know that this is a study about all different aspects of our health. So tell us a little bit more about kind of what are the benefits um, of, of genomics in general, but also specifically connecting it to this initiative where, you know, it's feeding into a, a bigger study that involves all different, um, different aspects of, of human health. Absolutely. I have to take my hat off, actually. I've been thinking about this in terms of um, when I was reviewing all my definitions and genomics. When you think of genomics being the study of all of a person's genes, and the name All of Us, it, it's a really, really great uh, name for a study because it represents what um, really the power of the study and kind of what we're doing. So you were specifically asking about like AOU as we um, often refer to All of Us um, as the study um, and how, what can we do in terms of genomics? Like what, what specifically, um, what, where would we apply genomics to research? And so I would say in terms of the way I think about genomics, is within the context of a benefit. So like the greatest benefit to me to understanding the human genome and genomics, this entire cookbook um, that really represents function in the human body is to better understand and how to cure diseases that may be inherited. That's really one of the really biggest benefits of genomics. Part of this is actually even just detecting the presence of disease and um, that, that, that might be occurring um, and pass um, from one generation to another. But uh, the other thing is that as part of that detection in healthcare, we like to um, think about early detection. So if we can detect things early enough, then we can make a plan to maximize a person's health and possibly even cure a disease um, before it causes some really big problems in the body. So that's a really big benefit in terms of disease um, identification, as well as early detection. Another area of genomics is uh, 
an area that you may have heard, like you, you, I'm starting to see it a lot more. It's the part where we say precision medicine, like it's very precise to a person's genome. And that is the area of pharmacogenomics or pharmacogenetics, um, which are used fairly interchangeably these days. And that's a big mouthful. So pharma sounds like drugs, because um, it is. And then genomics or genetics, it's like custom drugs for a person's genome. So this is a branch of precision medicine whereby we would tailor a drug therapy. We would say, because you look a certain way in terms of your genetic makeup, you're going to do better on certain drugs um, than others. And one application of this um, is cancer treatment. Um, and it's really revolutionized the way we treat cancers these days. A cancer doctor, if you get diagnosed, unfortunately, with cancer or your loved one does, um, can do genetic testing on the tumor itself and tailor drug therapies that will work better for that particular tumor's genetic makeup. So this precise approach, that's why we call it precision medicine, to a cancer diagnosis, and then most importantly, the treatment, is based on a genomic approach that is quite frankly saving lives in a way that we were unable to before. So that's a huge part of genomic research, which is really powerful and, and quite frankly, very compelling in terms of um, the impact to communities and human beings. So uh, what's really cool in the AOU research program is it's enabling us to combine both genomic data and other types of data that represent an individual, like information from their health record. So whereas genomic data in terms of thinking about these recipes and thinking about your genetic makeup and your genome, the whole recipe book, there's other aspects of you, that's kind of like your genetic makeup, but there's other aspects of you that make you you. What medications do you take? What health conditions do you have? What behaviors do you have? Do you run? Do you eat a whole bunch of bacon? Do you not eat bacon? Do you eat a whole bunch of yogurt every day? All these things are uh, aspects of our health that make up who we are. And AOU is collecting participant data around these areas of individual behavior, as well as genomic data. And what's novel about this is putting these two different types of information together to help us answer new health questions and research questions. So basically we're able to see, you know, both the, whatever may relate to our kind of genetic um, disposition to, you know, have a certain outcome, but also matching that to whether we're exercising, what we're eating, what else is going on in our, in our lives. Yeah, the genes are a funny thing. I was going to talk about this a little bit later, um, possibly, but I think it's a good time to talk about it now. Genes are this funny thing. These little recipes are funny because they get read in our cells and can affect our function, but genes can affect one another and genes can respond to the environment. So the environment that we live in. And so environmental factors such as what we eat, the air that we breathe, medicines that we take, all can influence our gene expression. And so it's important to combine both those types of information in terms of the environments that we live in and our behaviors in terms of things like that we eat and these, these sorts of things are 
or whether or not we even exercise, which is a really, really big topic for all of us. And I know that during the global pandemic, I have many, many patients that said, yeah, I got one of these exercise machines. And I would say, that's great, but did you use it? And then how much did you use it? And, and you know, we joke about that because it's like, yes, we, we did do, you know, everyone started baking bread and we started eating a lot of bread. And that is an environmental factor. So like, did, did your sourdough bread taste better than my sourdough bread? That is important. Um, but what's even more important is how much sourdough bread did you eat? And what else did you eat during that time period and for, for how long? And so if we can start collecting these type of information and, and combining it with genomic information, that's where the rubber hits the road. And we start to be able to answer much more interesting questions from a research and health perspective. And now thinking about that, but but also our, our topic uh, at hand here on this podcast always is looking at, at LGBT health in particular. So how, you know, based on everything you've said, how does all of that apply specifically to LGBTQ community, aside from the fact that, you know, we, we have we have genes like everyone else, um, so that's definitely going to be interesting, but how does it apply to specifically to our community, and especially I think, you know, we're statistically speaking as LGBTQ people, we're less likely to pass on our genes to others, so for me it's something I've never really you know, worried about. Um, I, I don't. I don't have um, kids other than my cats, and I haven't passed anything on to them um, except probably over snacking. Because um, when I go to the kitchen, they they want something too. But aside from that, I haven't passed on much to them. Um, so you know, when we think about that, you know, how how does this relate specifically to LGBTQ people and advancing our collective health? That is a great question. I, I would say, and we can talk about it more if we have time, but I think your cats may beg to differ that you have passed on something <laughs> to them in terms of your own behaviors as we all have um, with our pets. Um, but first, the first thing that I will say, I think this is a good question, um, is that it's really important for LGBTQ people to be included and represented in healthcare studies. Um, this is an issue of what I consider to be health equity um, and that is, in a nutshell, what I believe is that everyone, including queer people, deserve an equal opportunity to live a healthy life and participate in health research so that it can improve the health for themselves and their communities. So living a healthy life and engaging in health, quite frankly, should be for everyone. And part of that for me, um, because I see this from both sides, as a clinician, as a clinician researcher, is the ability to actually be counted and show up in health research studies so that my needs are represented. And I, as an individual, am represented. And the people that I see within my community are represented. So the one thing that I, I become very passionate about and very excited about when I, I think about all of us is that this All of Us research program this national and federal program has a mission built into its mission to include groups that have been traditionally and in the past underrepresented, underrepresented, not represented in biomedical research. And for the first time, the federal government is really at an incredible scale recognizing that LGBTQ people have been underrepresented in biomedical research. So by the way, the federal government has underrepresented LGBTQ people, even in terms of just counting us, right? So it's like, if you look at national health surveys, it's very inconsistent and it's not across the board. So if you got a federal uh, initiative, this incredible study that's recruiting a million people, a million Americans, 
and says, I want to represent LGBTQ people as well. And uh, Mia Culpa, I recognize that this has been a problem in the past. That is kind of an unprecedented and very, very, very exciting moment. So you don't need a PhD to know that our communities have been underrepresented by our government. So being counted and representing the numbers is one of the first steps towards health equity that I feel very strongly about. Now, you said something right at the end of your question, which I think is it, it's interesting. It's this like, well, there's less LGBTQ people potentially. I'm not sure I entirely agree with that either because I think that, you know, it's like how we count that. Um, but this notion that we are less likely possibly to pass on our genes from generation to generation, cats aside. Um, so I would, I would possibly differ a little bit with this. I think that queer people um, that I see in my own clinical practice as well as my own personal life are building families in novel and fabulous ways. So one of the first things that I discuss uh, with my transgender and gender expansive patients is whether they wish to pursue fertility preservation before they start uh, hormone uh, therapy um, on their gender journey. And this is biological um, preservation of fertility so that we can possibly plan a family uh, when it makes sense for us in our own lives um, and with our partners. So there, there is, you know, I think there was a time where we didn't have the technology and quite frankly, we didn't have the policy and society with us. We are at a very, very, very different time now. And granted, there's a lot happening and we can get into a whole other podcast discussion about um, the onslaught of terrible um, policies and laws um, that are occurring right now that are against um, these rights, um, but that's another conversation. So I think, um, I don't know the absolute statistics in terms of family building in queer people, but I have a number of colleagues that are focusing on this in terms of their own clinical research. And I, if, I think if we, you had them as a guest on your program, they would share with you that the numbers are absolutely increasing and in terms of generation to generation passing on of genes, this is definitely occurring with queer folks. And personally, I'll leave you with this thought, like I believe that equity is less about an absolute number in statistics and more about making sure that even the minority, I don't care what that number of people is, get the same opportunities for health. And that includes building a family and passing on of your genes. And that's a great point that even though statistically it may affect uh, fewer people in our community, when LGBTQ people do choose to go down the path of having children, we often face um, barriers to making that happen, whether those are socially imposed or legally or just due to biological differences. Um, so that inclusion in that type of work matters. And I think more importantly, as we've discussed, this is more about your own health than the genes that you're going to pass on. So in any case, this is super important. So that's the end of part one of our interview, but remember, this is a three-part series. All three parts are out now, so you can go and binge listen to the other two um, now or whenever you'd like, and you can learn more about all of us at joinallofus.org.